Good morning, church family. Uh, several of you were in Sunday school and had a chance to hear Brother Sam speak. Him and his wife, uh, Debbie, are here along with their daughter, Abigail. And they have other team members, but they didn't stay for this service. They said one round of hearing me up was enough for them. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that. But Sam is here with us from Papua New Guinea. He's been a missionary there uh, for quite a few years. I think it was four years ago since the last time you were here with us. Uh, some of you may not know him, so if you wouldn't mind, just give him your attention for just a minute and let him share with you about the ministry that is there. Uh, this purple mic will be your mic, and we're getting a thumbs up on that, so you're all good to go. All right, well, good morning. Glad to be here, even if it is just for a short time. Uh, like you said, it's been about four years since we've been back, uh, and we're only here for about six weeks, uh, and then we'll go back so Abigail, our youngest, can finish her 12th grade year in Papua New Guinea. Uh, we're missionaries in Papua New Guinea. My name's Sam Smucker, my wife Deb, and daughter Abigail. Uh, they're here too. I think we're going to skip out as well <laughs> right after this. So sorry if you guys are. They did hear the sermon last yeah, time. Yeah, so. we, we, we got preset already, yeah. so that's enough for us. Uh, no. Um, we're, we're with Wycliffe Bible Translators serving in Papua New Guinea, which is just north of Australia. I know some of you guys have known us and followed us, and some were new to you guys. Uh, we're involved primarily in oral kind of strategies with oral st storytelling and uh, oral translation, but also some scripture teaching stuff like culture meets scripture or trauma healing. Uh, culture meets scripture is how, how does our culture, how can we worship God within our culture and be totally acceptable? For instance, if we have a rope of bananas in our garden that we let fall to the ground, the first ripe one fall to the ground. Why do we do that? Well, it's because it's a thank you back to the spirits that helped the garden to grow. Uh, well, okay, what does God's word say about that? Well, it's God who sends the rain, and it's really God who causes it to grow. So uh, instead of letting it fall to the ground to the spirits, which are deceiving you, you should take it and give it back to God as a thank you for him. And so you're able to maintain a Melanesian culture uh, but do it in a way that glorifies God. So we do that, plus uh, a lot of orality, because uh, most of the people there uh, in the Sepik region don't know how to read or write. I think the literacy rate's about 11% if you do functional literacy rates. There's a lot of different kinds of ways to measure literacy, but it's about that, and so, and it's a very oral culture. So how things are passed on from generation to generation, everything that they needed to know for religious purposes, for social purposes, for economic purposes, for uh, how to live with your family and how to do all these things. Uh, it's all been passed down through stories generation after generation. And the gospel actually was that way too for a long, long, long time until a few small segment of the population started getting Bibles in their language and started to become more of a literate culture. But the majority of the world are still oral people. And so that's what we work on. We help them to learn God's word as a way that they would tell their own stories and their, their ancestral stories and be able to tell that again to other people. And it's not just telling stories, but it's what did you learn from the story? Can you see yourself in the story? Do you identify with anybody in there? Uh, what kind of changes do you need to make in your life that the story has taught you? And through that, we've seen amazing results. We've seen uh, churches that have been dead for seven years get revived. We've seen um, people be able to correctly defend God's word and, and defend truth when heresy comes and keep churches from following heresy. 
We've seen people become Christians and people grow and become leaders in their churches, uh, spiritual leaders in their communities. Uh, it's been an amazing thing. Uh, one of the things we do too is oral Bible translation. Instead of writing the Bible out and recording it, uh, we go straight to recording it and not writing it. And so they'll listen to something and they'll be able to internalize it and then be able to speak it out in their language and record that and then it gets checked and, and then distributed. And through this kind of methods, we've seen amazing results. Um, we have one lady who's a pastor's wife, her name is Susan. A pastor's wife, but never learned how to read. And when she came to oral Bible storytelling uh, and learned how all these stories of the Bible, she was so excited because you know, she never really had a ministry before. Now she could have a ministry alongside her husband in the church in teaching people what God's word was through these stories. Um, we had another, uh, when we were doing oral Bible translation, we were working with the Sun Southern One language group. And the Southern One language group, there was three translators that were working on a section. Uh, names were um, Martin and Benedict and Francis. There we go. I, I struggle with names, especially on spur of the moment. Uh, so they were there with one of our coworkers, Nancy, and they were translating the story. Uh, Benedict was translating the story of Lazarus and the money man. And if you know that story, Lazarus is a beggar, and the money man, of course, has everything he needs. But when they die, Lazarus goes to the equivalent of heaven, and the money man goes to the equivalent of hell. And the money man's like, hey, send somebody back to my brothers because they don't know God and I don't want them to end up here. And um, there's a bunch of dialogue that happens with that's not possible. And so Benedict had drafted the story and it had went to people to check and they got feedback on it and he's fixing some of them and he did some recordings, straightened some of the recordings in that story and then they're listening to the whole thing. And as they listen to the whole thing, uh, Francis just starts to cry. And he starts to cry, and they get done with it, and everybody notices, like, tears just streaming down Francis's face. And they all sit in silence for a little bit, and then Francis starts to pray. And he prays a heartbroken prayer because he has brothers that are not following God. And through this story, his story has taught him that there's a time that you have in order to become a Christian. There's a time that you have in order to, to put your life under God's rule. And once you die, that's 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 finished and he's worried about his brothers and he's praying for them and he's praying for his, his strength to be a good witness and be able to somehow do that and and after he's done some of the others pray too and they sit in silence in in the presence of God and that's the kind of way that the scripture has an impact in people's lives in an oral society in Papua New Guinea when it comes very naturally, when it comes in their language, when it comes in that kind of format. Uh, the story doesn't end there, though, because when uh, Francis went back, they took these this year. They took these stories that they had translated and played them for different people, played them for his family, and he told these stories. And through that, some of his brothers had become Christians and have come back to the church. They were following a, a uh, cult instead and so they've become Christians and he's seen this and Benedict well Benedict who translated this story he translated it so well that the consultant it passed the consultant check the first time 
And Benedict has never been to school a day in his life. He doesn't know how to read or write, but through these oral means, he's become a translator, he's become a preacher, he's become an evangelist, he's become a pastor in his language, right? Because these recordings that he's been doing is bringing the Bible to his people in a language that really speaks to them and in a way that really speaks to them. And while this is uh, Francis's story and Benedict's story and Martin's story and Nancy's story, uh, it's also your story too because without you guys praying for us and without you guys uh, giving money so that we could be over there, this story would have never happened. And so you have a part in that. And, and when we all die and we get to heaven, you'll be able to meet Francis and uh, his brothers and Benedict and Martin. And, and it's because of you guys that these guys are going to be in heaven. So I want to just say thank you to that. Thank you for that. Thank you, too, for the church for allowing us to use the van while we're here. Um, really appreciate that. Uh, it's difficult coming back for six weeks and trying to figure out what are we going to do. Uh, we're going to be leaving on Friday to go up and visit my family and then go see our son Nathaniel and his wife Regan. They got married two years ago. We haven't. Uh, my family has not met Regan's family yet um, because they got married two years ago in COVID and we couldn't get back as all the airline travel. So we're finally getting back to meet our son's wife and his family. Um, and then we'll be heading back to Papua New Guinea for another year. And then after that, we'll be back on furlough. So anyways, thanks again. And I know it's a short uh, time that we're here and a short story, but appreciate the opportunity to be able to share. Thanks. Amen. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate you, buddy. All right. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Luke chapter 20. As you're turning there, I'd like to share with you about Vacation Bible School. This week we had uh, six children give their life to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Six kids came to Jesus Christ this week. Two of them reaffirmed in their salvation, so God has been working and moving. Man, can you believe the work we have seen God doing here at Grace Baptist Church just since January? Healings, salvations, God has been working and moving in our midst. It's a great time uh, to be here, uh, part of this church family. It's just wonderful, wonderful to be part of that. All right, uh, we are moving here in this chapter. If you're joining us for the first time, maybe the first time in four years, like the smokers, or first time in a long time, uh, we've been working through the Gospel of Luke systematically, and we have been working, we just finished a section on what's commonly called the Jerusalem Travel Discourse, where he's just going to all these different towns, and he's finally made it to Jerusalem. We're in the last week of Jesus' life this morning, I think we've talked about that before, and, and as he is in Jerusalem here, uh, he's going to be making people upset, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and we're going to see that kind of provoking today. You'll see it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek title for the sermon today. How many of y'all remember that show, To Catch a Predator, with Chris Hansen? Did anybody watch? Man, I love that show. I don't know why I liked it so much, but, you know, they would set these guys up, and they thought they were going to get a, a, uh, an underage girl come out, and then Chris Hansen walks up, hey, what are you doing? You know, and cops are out there to catch him. You know, it was all a trap. Well, in this t passage today, what we're going to see is these, uh, these groups are coming to try to set two traps for Jesus. And in the course of setting those traps, they end up being trapped themselves, and Jesus exposes where they truly are. Now, spoiler alert, I did not make it all the way through the text in the last service, so we're not going to make it all the way through. When I come back from Los Angeles, I'm going to Los Angeles on Monday for the Southern Baptist Convention, so please pray for us and pray for my travel. I'd appreciate that. Uh, we'll pick up with, with the second part, but we'll get at least as far as they were, all right? 
So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. If not, it's on the screen to my right and to my left here. And uh, here is what the Word of God says. Uh, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at the very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and uh, jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and you teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give, contribute to, excuse me, Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, which is roughly a day's wage, one whole day work of wage. Whose likeness is inscribed, inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. Then came to him some Sadducees, who, the, those who deny that there is a resurrection. Then they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. Then, is it stuck? There you go. Then the second and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. After the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For there were seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to, the, to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Then some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well, for there no longer dared to ask him any questions. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus called him Lord. So how is he his son? Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy and infallible word. I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts because the grass withers, the flowers fade. Say it with me if you know it. But the word of our God endures forever. 
All right, here we are. Jesus is on his way to the cross, and we are encountering at the beginning of this passage, all the way back at the start in verse 19, another rendezvous with scribes and Pharisees. Now, as I said before, there are like three groups, four groups that are kind of benefiting from the broken religious system that has evolved over the last three to four hundred years. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees want to keep that control, make that money they make off the exchange in the temple and the selling of the sacrifices. And Jesus is a threat to all of that. And so they want him removed. They want the situation dealt with and they're trying to infiltrate him. The text this morning tells us they even sent spies to infiltrate in and to listen so that they could try to catch him. The, the plan they come up with is quite simple and probably a little bit brilliant, right? Uh, they want to get the whole wrath of the Roman government against him, right? So that they will crush and kill him, all right? And uh, Jesus is here dealing with the question. The first question here, the scribe and the chief priest, which would have been mostly Pharisees, Right, scribes sort of function like, um, sort of like the the county clerk and and your family lawyer combined, if you can think of it that way. We'll deal more with the scribes next time. But if a widow lost her husband, she had to go see the scribe in Israel to get the land and all that squared away. And they were actually stealing from those widows. Jesus will point that out when Pastor Danny preaches to you in a couple of weeks. But the scribes were stealing from them, and so they made money off this broken system as well. And here in this passage, they're trying to catch him, right? And here comes the question. This, it's a setup, right? Uh, for those of you that are Star Wars fans, it's, it's uh, Akbar, right? It's a trap, right? This is a trap question. And the trap question is this. Teacher, right, do we have to pay? Do we have to pay Caesar? Do we have to render to Caesar what, any kind of taxes? And we've talked about this as we've moved through Luke, how the Roman government would outsource the tax collecting and how they would gouge them for every penny that they could. And several Pharisees of the day said it's okay to lie to tax collectors, that that won't really count against you because it's so bad. So there are already many of them engaged in sin in this area. Uh, but, you know, they're kind of okay with covering it up. They said that one didn't really count, right? Some of, the, some of the Pharisees would say that. But the issue here, the central issue in this question is simply this. It is obedience. We live under human government, right? Uh, some human governments are worse than others. Let's be very honest. Capitalism is terrible. Is it not? Does it not at times value money more than people it's a broken system it's only preferable to the other broken systems that surround us <laughs> communism and socialism uh you know some of the some of the fruits that it has bared has not gone well for the church in other areas right so i would say like churchill said it's only preferable to the alternatives but it's still a broken system and in this particular culture, I want you to see what's happening here, understand what this means. They're asking about, we are living under pagans. We're living under pagan rulers. We're living under those that don't even follow the one true and living God. Do we have to do what they say? Do we really have to obey him? Do you find yourself asking these questions now, right? Some governments view the church more favorably. And to be honest, in our culture, I would say that we're still somewhat favorable. The church is still held somewhat favorably by our government. But it's becoming more acidic towards the church. 
becoming more hostile towards the church, uh, those that hold to biblical truth as time goes on. Uh, we still enjoy things like tax exemption status and some of those little perks like that, but I think there could be a day where that stuff is removed. I think that could happen in the, in the near future. But one thing we, we're learning here, though, is that we as Christians should respect human government. There's a whole discourse in, in, in Romans that helps us to understand the authority that God gives to the state and how we are to interact with that. Now, what we're going to see here in a minute is, uh, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the, the, the difference between them and the Sadducees, right? I'll give you a quick way to remember this. And the text said this, but Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, so they are sad, you see. <laughs> and the Pharisees believe in the resurrection, so they are fair, you see, right? So they're happy they're going to be raised. So that's one way to remember them. But another thing to remember about the Sadducees is this. They're kind of like the liberals of their day, all right? They rejected not only uh, the resurrection, they rejected all of the prophets in the Old Testament. So they didn't recognize Daniel, they didn't recognize Ezekiel, they didn't recognize any of the major or minor prophets. Can you imagine that? They just did, you know, because they said hard things, right? They said hard things and they just rejected it outright. The only thing that they would accept as authoritative or anything close to authoritative with the words that Moses wrote in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, which is how we see Jesus answer them in their trap. So, um, so first thing we want to see here is that we must... We must obey government in as far as it is possible as Christians. We should respect and we should obey in as far as it's possible. There are times when government and God's word collide, right? Um, we, we, we have seen that in Nazi Germany and other scenarios and cases like that. And there have been people who have disobeyed in those particular categories. And, you know, God found their faith faithful there and he honored what they did in those situations and there may come a time like that but for now for the most part we can we can obey and respect our government all right that's not the main issue there that was a issue now let's move on to the second part here with the Sadducees moving on to the Sadducees slide on down to verse 27 so that attempt fails we're now going to be having a discussion here about what's called in theology eschatology. That's a big fancy word that means the study of last things. And there's two ways, two kind of studies in eschatology. One is what happens to like everything, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planet, what happens to all that in the end, right? Uh, we are somewhat of a, uh, a fixated on this concept, right? I, I think in the 70s, those of you who are old enough to remember the joy of end of the world movies from the 70s, right? Remember all those movies that came out like Soylent Green and have you ever seen, who's seen Soylent Green? Has anybody seen that movie? Which, no, nobody. Okay. Or Planet of the Apes, right? Have anybody seen that movie Planet of the Apes, right? Where he rides on the beach and then there's the Statue of Liberty just drop. No, I don't know why, but I love movies where Charlton Heston falls to his knees and is just screaming in the middle. It always like, oh, such a good movie, right? Anyhow, so we're kind of fixated on eschatology, how things will end. Well, this is a question not just about how it's going to end altogether, but specifically for individual people, micro level for us. So there's a macro level, there's a micro level. And the Sadducees here, this is sort of their way of trying to trap Jesus, right? Is they're going to try to get him on the question of the resurrection, the physical resurrection of the body. Now, let me say this. Here is the mistake that I think the Sadducees make. I'm going to use this as an illustration, so listen. 
Listen up right here, right here in the front. Listen up, okay? Here. How many of you have a fish at home? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Apparently, most people at Grace Baptist Church don't have fish. I've learned that in the last two services. So, all right. Let's, let's pretend for just a minute, okay? In the Old Testament, God made a donkey have the ability to speak for a short period of time, all right? Let's pretend we live in an alternate reality here, right, where the fish has the ability to speak. So we're all going to go to my house after church, and my fish can speak perfect 21st century English, okay? And so what kind of questions do you think my fish would have for us? Here's what I think the fish would ask. The fish would say things like, um, where is your bubble maker? Why don't I ever see the bubble maker in your, where's the walls of your tank end? Is it in this room? Because I see holes in your walls. How big is your tank? Uh, when does the food drop from the ceiling? You know, the top part of your tank. When do you do that? And how come you never go all the way up to the top of your tank like I go up in mine, Right? A fish would ask that because its whole existence for the last three years has been where? Inside the tank, right? I want you to look at how Jesus answers them on this issue. Of, and they're mocking him. Make no mistake. You can almost hear it in the text. They say, yeah, a man marries uh, a woman and uh, he dies. And that was the law that Moses gave, by the way. If you died and you were the firstborn and you didn't have any children, your next in line brother, the next eldest brother, was to marry her and have children. And those children were to be raised to be the heirs of everything the family had. So, you know, those kind of laws kept families tight, didn't they, right? Because the, uh, the second oldest brother is going to be real interested in whoever mom and dad comes home to, to be the wife for the oldest son, right? Because he may have to, you know, marry her eventually or on down the line. And they're sort of making fun of this situation. And they're making fun of the idea of the resurrection because of this problem and this law that Moses gave. And they don't see how this is all going to work together. And here in this passage, Jesus is pointing something out, right? What, what is his answer after these verses here? What, is he, what does he say to them to help them to understand this? He says, he actually makes an appeal in the text all the way back to Genesis, right? Uh, let's Let's look at this and see what he says specifically in the text because I want you to be able to see the words he has here and then understand what it is that he is saying in this text. So uh, they, they come to him, they say that Jesus said, verse 34, the sons of this what? Age. What do they do? Marry. That's your fish tank, friend. That's the fish tank that humanity's been called in from when? from Genesis chapter 1, right? From Genesis chapter 1, we see God make Adam and He creates Eve. And what does He do in, in Genesis chapter 1? He, he marries them together. And marriage is much what our civilization revolves around because it's the main first institute. It is what we need for procreation and carrying on of mankind. It's God's plan to fill the earth and subdue it. So everything we know about most of this age and this time that we're in is centers around marriage and centers around being given in marriage, right? Uh, so that's kind of the, the fish tank limitation that we have. But Jesus is saying here at least five things about the life that is to come after this, life outside the fish tank, okay? So let's talk about those for just a minute. Here's the five things. One, marriage is not individual, but corporate in the age to come. 
marriage is not individual, but is corporate. He goes down through here and he tells us that we're going to be like angels, that we will not be male or female anymore. Now, when I took my vows with Becky and we stood before Don Casper and he did, and Darren Casper, Darren did the wedding. They weren't related, by the way. They just happened to have the same last names. They were, they were pastor and music minister at this church, and they just happened to have the same last names. But, uh, you know, we said, till death do we, what? Part, okay? Now, I want you to think about this, right? Uh, when we were in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, this is one thing that reminds me of the Pharisees. The seminary was just coming out some very liberal years over the issue of inerrancy and infallibility. Is the Word of God really the Word of God? It settled out, yes, it was, but for several years before it did not. And so some of the most liberal churches were like the ones closest to the seminary. Isn't that odd? The most liberal churches are right next to Southern in Louisville. And uh, I would often hear these liberal Christians say things like, I only believe what the red letters say. If it's not in the red letters, I'm not believing it. And to which I say that's foolishness, right? Jesus said to the disciples, there are many more things I want to what tell you, but you're not ready to hear them. I think he called the apostles and he called Paul to fill in those gaps that he wanted the church to know for the ages to come. So what Paul wrote is just as weighty as what we're looking at here in the red letters, right? That's why I'm not a huge fan of red letter Bibles. Sometimes you'll hear me kind of knock those down because they're, they're like the modern day Pharisees, the Sadducees, in my opinion, you know, people that say things like that. But uh, in, in the text here... Uh, Paul oftentimes in his letters calls the church the bride of Christ. We will be cooperatively wed and in covenant with Christ together throughout eternity. Now, for some of you, the concept that you're not going to be married in heaven, you don't like you you like it. I know that sounds sadistic, but let me let me be clear. One of the guys that I used to pastor up in Indiana. He was, he's 92. I call him occasionally. It takes him a minute to remember who I am, but he finally gets there. His wife died about two or three months ago. And when his wife died, I called him up. I was like, hey, brother, how's it going? He said, oh, you know, uh, she, sweet little, you know, Joey, she just went to the hospital and, and she died and they just couldn't get her any help. I said, well, uh, he, she, and then he went on and said, but Travis, she abused me for 60 years. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, and then I said, well, how you doing, man? Are you doing okay? He said, well, the boys are pretty upset, but I'm okay. You know, so, you know, so the concept that marriage will not continue on is like a great exit plan for some of you uh, that are not willing to break that command like him. Uh, but for others of you, it probably deeply disturbs you, right? I'm sure Becky's bothered and stays up many nights uh, bothered by the fact we won't be married for eternity. Uh, but one thing I thought about here was if I were to ask myself this question, if I were to give Becky over to another man to be married to, what would it take? Now, I'm not going to do this, but let's just indulge me. We've already talked about a fish talking in a fish tank, right? So let's just keep going down the trail today, all right? Here we go. What would it take for me to do that? It would take the following three things, I think. One, he would have to love her way more than I do. That would be the first qualification. He would have to love her way more than I love her. Second of all, not only would he have to love her, but she would have to love him more than she loves me. And then third of all, I would have to be happy with that new arrangement. <laughs> And I'm glad to tell you 
that there is no such man that walks on the face of this earth. Amen. Thank you. You all got it. You know, I said that in the first service and they just looked at me. They didn't say amen or nothing. I was like, good night. I'm up here dying. You know what I mean? Like, give me a little feedback here. Okay. I need a little call response is good for the preaching of the gospel. Okay. Thank you. Man, that was almost dangerously close to affirming. You know what? Anyhow. So no such person exists, right? No such person exists. But when the day comes, and it will come, where either she is called home to go to the Lord or I am called home to go with the Lord, to be with the Lord, or we're called together, right? There will be no issue as we stand in the presence of Christ, her perfected, loving Him in a perfect way, Him loving us in a perfect way, singing praise to His name forever. And she will not be upset with me praising Him forever, right? It'll be, a, it'll be a, a love that is not tainted with jealousy or the brokenness of sin. It will not have the trappings of the marriage you know now. It'll have something else. And if you're still not satisfied with that, let me close with this. No one will be disappointed in heaven. I can guarantee you that. No one will be disappointed in heaven. There is nothing disappointing about being in the presence of Christ perfected. Nothing. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you today. We thank you for this word. Lord, we need your help to digest it. We don't get it. We're like fish in a, in a tank this morning. We struggle to, to get this. But 